Now it's time to talk about Trump and the reactionary mind. For that, we turn to Corey Robin. He teaches political theory at Brooklyn College and the CUNY Graduate Center. He writes for The Nation, The New York Times, Harper's, and other publications. And he's the author of The Reactionary Mind, Conservatism from Edmund Burke to Donald Trump. It's just come out in a new paperback edition. Corey Robin, welcome. Thanks for having me. You have a striking tweet out now reporting that you came to a big conclusion about Trump and why he won. You say he tells the truth, and that's what people love about him. It's a quote. I'm sure you don't mean it's true that Mexicans are rapists. What did you mean? So this was based on a piece in The New Republic that I was talking about. I spent several months reading the the Donald Trump oeuvre, as it were, and, what, and, and I started with The Art of the Deal, and, and going into it, I was expecting, you know, all the, all the kind of standard BS that we have grown accustomed to from him on the campaign trail and, and, and in an office. And what was shocking to me in reading uh, The Art of the Deal, what, and, and I wouldn't say it required me to read it particularly carefully, was how brutally honest he is about American capitalism in particular and about his own role in American capitalism. He refers to himself uh, and describes himself as somebody who engages in hyperbole, in fantasy, somebody who makes things up, and that this is the way that American capitalism works, that value, uh, the value of things does not depend upon uh, the quality of the product, the, the, you know, the expertness of the salesmanship or anything like that. It depends upon exaggeration, fantasy, spectacle, and, and a sort of kind of fantastic form of lying. He says that capitalism, uh, the stock market, is no different from gambling uh, uh, or, or a casino. The only difference is that the people in the stock market wear suits. Hmm. So there's a, very, um, there's a kind of corrosive cynicism that he is very upfront and honest about that I think speaks to a way a lot of people in this country think about capitalism. In other words, that it's not, you know, uh, dependent upon an honest day's labor, that uh, if you work hard, you can succeed, that only the best rise to the top. So there's this, as I say, this very uh, corrosive skepticism and cynicism about the nature of capitalism and about his own success within the capitalist marketplace uh, that I was, I was really struck by. And, 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 and I think that resonated with, with an awful lot of people. You read Art of the Deal, but of course, that was in, what, the late 80s. Now, Trump seems to endorse a lot of Republicans' traditional economic arguments. He says corporate tax cuts will create jobs. He says it's good to cut taxes on rich people. He says government regulation stifles economic growth. I don't see any undermining of Republican economic arguments in anything Trump has said lately, but maybe I've missed something. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And, and there's no doubt, I mean, on many fronts, Donald Trump governs, uh, and, I've, and this is part of the argument of the book, governs very much like a traditional Republican. The strongest argument against all of those positions and the strongest argument against the arguments that Donald Trump now makes on behalf of all those positions is Donald Trump himself. Both what he says in that book, which, uh, you know, from the 1980s, but also what he says in his own campaign 
documents about how the system is rigged and what he said in his own campaign statements and what he has said about his own success uh, and how he succeeded. So, so there's absolutely no question, um, as you say, that while, while in office he has completely governed like a sort of very standard Republican, and, and I've been saying this for quite a while, the, the justifications and the arguments uh, that, that one would make on behalf of those policies are undermined by, by, him, by, by the man himself. Just a footnote here. You you uh, you went back and reread Art of the Deal and found all of these uh, striking uh, non-traditional, non-Republican uh, statements there. You read Art of the Deal, but I wonder if he ever read Art of the Deal. Tony Schwartz, the ghostwriter in the book, says he could never get Trump to read any part of Art of the Deal. Uh, maybe this is uh, irrelevant to, to your point, but it is kind of striking. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, and uh, the, I would really recommend the Jane Mayer piece uh, from, I think it was last fall, yes. uh, where she went back to Tony Schwartz, and, and he really, uh, the ghostwriter, and he really expresses a, a great deal of remorse about that book, because it really did help launch Trump uh, and, and make him a kind of an international brand. But what was striking to me in reading the book was that far from burnishing Trump and making him seem like a great man, I thought it was an incredible expose and deflation of Trump. I, I didn't come away thinking, wow, this is, this is, you know, an amazing story about an amazing man at all. I thought it was very revealing of who the man is yeah, and, and, and in certain ways of how he's governed. Yeah, well, I think you're right that the corrosive cynicism is something new in self-help books. And uh, that may help explain why it was on the bestseller list for, for 48 uh, weeks. Uh, the people who love him do, do like the way that he, quote, tells it like it is about the economy. And I think they probably also uh, like, the effect, like the fact that he says Mexicans are rapists, and they regard that as a kind of truth-telling that you don't usually hear from Republican candidates either. So, Absolutely. I think you're completely right about that. One of the appeals is, you know, he is uh, politically incorrect, proudly politically incorrect. Yeah. Uh, and I think Trump is that. And, and, and I think for a lot of people, you know, we re on the left and liberals and moderates recoil at that. But there's clearly a part of the country for whom that kind of, you know, to use another phrase from another campaign, straight talk really resonates. The new edition of your uh, book, The Reactionary Mind, is about conservatism from Edmund Burke to Donald Trump. I think a lot of people, just looking at the title, would say Donald Trump doesn't really have serious political ideas. What he has is, you know, narcissism, impulsiveness, ignorance, aggression, but not ideas. What do you say to that? I, I take that in stages. Uh the first thing is to look at how a lot of the things that people dislike about Trump and accuse Trump of, the, the contempt for the rule of law, the attack on established elites, including elites within his own party, the contempt for institutions and the Constitution, uh, the kind of ambient violence that has attended him yeah. uh, from the moment he came onto the scene and his, you know, his entire entourage. All of those things which people dislike about Trump and think are novelties on the right, 
I try to show in the book, in fact, are constitutive of the right. Not just the recent right, but really going back to Edmund Burke. I mean the title quite seriously. It's not intended to be a kind of idle provocation. A good part of this book is a fairly close reading of Edmund Burke. And I try to show that all of these things that we think of as novelties are intrinsic to the project of reactionary thought going back to the French Revolution. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. So that, I think, is part of the continuity there that's important to establish. But now you bring up a different, uh, another aspect of this, which is that Trump really seems to be, compared to even some recent conservative figures, there seems to be a kind of winnowing, a narrowing of the political project, where it's all about himself. And I think that's also true. I think this is a sign of the sort of slow attenuation and weakening of the conservative movement uh, as a whole, that it has now ground itself down into a figure like this. I mean, the way I think about this is Donald Trump is a walking disaster and has been a disaster as president, extraordinarily weak in all sorts of ways, and yet he was by far the strongest candidate uh, the Republicans could wield. In fact, the only candidate, I would argue, they could wield this, this time around and have won the election. And I think that tells you something less about Donald Trump and more about the state of the Republican Party and the conservative movement today. One of the more striking arguments in the new edition of your book is that the right has succeeded, but it doesn't have anything to react against anymore. You know, if you look at Fox News, you certainly don't get that view. They're reacting against Obamacare, a Black Lives Matter, the homosexual agenda, and, and, and so on. What do you mean when you say the right doesn't have anything to react against anymore? So historically, what the right was always about was not just reacting against free-floating currents of cultural modernity. It was really reacting against organized, emancipatory movements of the left that were engaged in acts of dispossession. Now, those movements of the left have varied since the French Revolution. It could be a movement of commoners against a king. It could be abolition. Uh, It could be the black freedom struggle. It could be the labor movement. It could be the women's uh, liberation movement. These were these very concerted movements that were in both in the streets, fighting in the culture sphere, and also fighting at the level of the state and facing some genuine prospects uh, for success or actually achieved success. The more modern version of the conservative movement engaged in serial attack on the labor movement, the women's movement, and the black freedom struggle. And on many, many measures, overwhelmingly has been successful. I mean, the first and foremost would be the labor movement, you know, effectively destroyed. Yes. And uh, on the black freedom struggle, I mean, let's just think back to the, you know, the original question of desegregation. The United States today is more segregated, racially segregated by neighborhood and by school than it was under Ronald Reagan. Mm. The racial wealth gap. I mean, there's all these material facts in which the right has triumphed. Uh, Abortion in many states is almost non-existent. So on many, many fronts, the right has won. And despite the kind of hysteria that you hear on Fox News, I would argue uh, that you can see that victory in the, and how the right has governed itself. First and foremost, the fact that they could allow themselves to have chosen someone like Donald Trump 
uh, in the first place. In the 1960s and the 1970s and 1980s, it would have been unthinkable for somebody with so little political experience, for such a clown, to have come this close, because there was too much at stake for them. So I would say that's the first thing. The second thing is just look at how they've governed since. They have total control over the federal government. And with the exception of the Neil Gorsuch ascension to the court, which we really have to attribute to Mitch McConnell more than anything else, they have been singularly incapable of moving any kind of legislative program forward. I mean, it really is unprecedented, I think, in modern political history to see a political party have this level of control over the federal apparatus and be so completely hapless, particularly in the legislative arena. Corey Robin, his book, The Reactionary Mind, Conservatism from Edmund Burke to Donald Trump, has just come out in a new paperback edition. Corey, thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.